Hello, this week I brought together Alan Hepburn, who's a trustee of a rewilding charity called Scotland the Big Picture, and he writes and tweets about rewilding as at Rewild Scotland, with high school student Harris Grothy, who's been doing some research into attitudes towards rewilding. I wanted to have a conversation about what the opportunities are for rewilding in Portobello. Harris, do you want to tell us a little bit about the project that you've been doing? Well, for school, I've been doing the Science Baccalaureate and I'm doing the project on rewilding. So for that, I've been researching a lot about rewilding, different projects taking place in the UK and the scientific principles behind rewilding. I've also done a survey of members of the public on their opinions on rewilding, which I thought was really interesting to see. Can you tell us a bit more about that, about what they thought? Well, one thing that stuck out to me, which I found was, well, not surprising, but I just hadn't really thought of that much, is how many people were concerned about things not looking neat and tidy and that rewilding places will make it look messy and unkept and people will start fly-tipping there. And also a lot of people were just concerned about the introduction of predators when actually rewilding's a lot more than that, but a lot of people thought it was just reintroducing wolves. Wow, that's interesting. And did anyone talk at all about rewilding the sea? No, not... Well, I, my questions weren't really leading towards coastal rewilding that much, but no one even mentioned it. And I think that's one thing that people just don't really think about that much is a possibility of sea rewilding. I'd love to hear more about sea wilding. I'm not really sure what it involves, how you could go about sea wilding. So the term sea wilding, the first time I heard it was a project that's going on in the west coast of Scotland, uh, Art Fern kind of way, and they have reintroduced native sea oysters to various sea locks around that area. There is a connection to us locally. The Firth and Forth had huge oyster beds in the past. There was a vast industry but they've been completely cleaned out i think i've just heard recently about somebody talking about maybe getting the guys from the west coast to come over and look at reintroducing oysters to the firth of forth the other main area in scotland concerned with sea wilding first one is oysters and the second one is seagrass a lot of our seagrass which is a kind of a native plant that lives under the waves but not too deep so it still needs some sunlight it was dredged to death in scotland dredging for scallops i guess and things like that so in lots of places in the west coast they're reintroducing they plant little bags little hessian bags of this seagrass and they've calculated how much co2 the seagrass takes in and it's a vast amount so it's a really important thing that scotland's doing both for biodiversity but also for climate change as well well that's exciting so if you plant seagrass do animals come and populate that as well does it lead to an underwater environment yeah i mean i guess it's like a, a native woodland underwater biodiversity is, is so complex that it'll be interesting to see over, over you know the years ahead how that's repopulated with various species i'm sure we, we have our overfished all our inshore seas around scotland you know in the firth of forth there was huge shoals of herring in the past herring was a massive industry in the firth of forth east nuke of fife huge fleets were, were supported so we've overfished our inshores and also we've dredged so that idea of dragging a net along the bottom of the the seabed which destroys everything in its path. Scotland has, amazingly, we have coral reefs, but they've all been destroyed pretty much. There's a few surviving ones in, in some of the marine protected areas around Scotland. But this dredging basically catches things like scallops and other kind of crustaceans as well, but it destroys everything in its path. It, sometimes it never revives. You know, these intricate ecosystems under the waves are formed over 
millennia and they can be destroyed with one pass of a dredger. Wow. It's so sad, isn't it? Yeah, it is sad, but there is hope. There is hope. There's some amazing projects going on. Um, as I say, the Seagrass Project, the Oysters Project, um, there's a lot of pressure on the government. And the government's doing a certain amount of work to increase the number of MPAs, the marine protected areas around Scotland. I might have this wrong. I think we used to have a kind of four-mile zone where you, there was a no-take. I think that was removed, and there, are, there is some um, pressure being put on the government to, to reintroduce that. And obviously, that would make a, a big difference to insurers. I mean, and, and if... if fish stocks um, revive, maybe we can have a sustainable fishery again. But at the minute, the herring really hasn't returned to the fourth. I know we get mackerel and things that come in, but it'd be great to have huge shoals of herring. And then, of course, they're followed by whales and dolphins and uh, all sorts of other exciting animals as well. Harris, how is it hearing all about that? It's extremely exciting to hear about all the potential of sea rewilding, because it's an area that I don't know much about, but I think is really exciting. And like I've heard some stuff about it especially about seagrass and how important that is. I guess probably in Scotland as well, I don't know much about it, how important kelp is and kelp forests underwater. And there is potential to get all of these ecosystems back into Scotland. How do we think about what sea wilding would mean for Joppa, Portobello, Seafield? And we just had a, a big storm. The sea comes right up to the seawall for much of the prom. So there's not really much that can be done there. I mean, in my perfect world, I wouldn't allow dogs on every single section of the beach because there should be lots of waders there and all sorts of exciting things. But anyway. I was in a conversation at the weekend about the Seafield part of the prom and the idea that there will be development there and whether that could take into consideration floodable places that could be green and lush and wild. And yeah, I was thinking about the seafield development because there has been a little bit of work done there with uh, reintroducing some grasses, etc. But you're right, if we had areas where they would have kind of flood overfill, if they could have those as wetlands, that'd be, that'd be incredibly, really exciting. So what about beyond the sea then? How else in Portobello? Is it just too densely populated to do anything interesting and exciting? Or are there pockets of opportunities, do you think? Well, urban rewilding is something which is also extremely exciting and very much needed so i don't know how easy it would be to do in portobello but even things like having living grass roofs have got amazing benefits or just having small areas of trees and more wild places around the place there's a lot of countryside kind of at the edge of midlothian way yeah i mean we're we're actually quite blessed in some ways with quite a few lovely green areas in portobello we've got multiple parks we have the Figgit Burn, which runs from the sea right up to Duddington Lock. It's a real otter highway, I believe. The otters come up and down from Duddington Lock all the way down. You've got the Brunston Burn as well. And as Harris says, we're actually very close to the fields and hedges of East Lothian. There's lots that can be done by individuals to try. I mean, we've got so many gardens. If we were able to have a kind of a biodiversity highway between the green spaces of the Daisy Park and, and Figgit Park and Quarry Park. It would be fantastic thinking about hedgehogs and pollinators, etc. So there's lots of ways that we can make our gardens much more nature friendly. So a kind of a me wilding kind of thing, wilding our own spaces, as well as encouraging the council to make parts of our park more messy. And the friends of the Figgit Park have done some really good stuff, but some of our parks are really just lawn and roses. So it might be that we could maybe encourage them to plant a little bit more native species and actually have some kind of messy areas as well. The council are, are doing good work, but there's there's certainly more that can be done. Yeah. And also one thing that I was thinking of is that one place that I'm right by where my 
mum stays, there's grassy area which is fenced around with a sign saying no ball games with absolutely nothing growing on it. And if they could start to rewild those kinds of places, or at least use it in some other way than just having grass where no one's allowed on, it would make a real difference because there's lots of them around Portobello and around the city. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Just finding those corners and caring about them or almost not caring about them as well, isn't it? It's like leaving them be. Yeah, but also quite often with rewilding, you have to have an active phase at the beginning to initiate the recovery of the ecosystem. As so many places are so highly maintained by humans at the moment, if we leave them, it would just risk further homogenizing. So like the ecosystem is becoming less biodiverse. You also need to think about below the soil level, yeah. right? And what's happening under there. In some of our parks, the leaves are taken away. And of course, the leaves are what well, you know, build soil. You need the worms to come and take the leaves down into the soil. So it is a little bit of trying to uh, you know, leave nature to its own course sometimes. But Harris is absolutely right. You do quite often have to have an active phase at the start to get things going. There's quite a few rewilding projects in Scotland that they tried to encourage the native woodland to come back, but there was no seed source because for hundreds of kilometres around the area, they had all the trees removed as well. So um, it might be that uh, there needs to be some active management at the start, but then um, maybe we let nature take its course. Then certainly in quite a few of the parks in Portobello, they have introduced little uh, wildflower areas which have cropped up over the last few years, which is very positive, but I would still love to see a lot more. So what can be done on a council level? I was quite disappointed when I went uh, to the new Portobello High School and had a look at, they planted some trees, but when you actually look at the, the tags on them, most of them were non-native species. And I just think that's a missed opportunity. You know, if you think of something like an oak tree, it supports maybe 300 different native species in its branches and its in its bark. You have a, like a sycamore, for example, which is a non-native species. It won't support as much biodiversity at all. I think they would argue that they need diversity in the trees that they're planting because we don't know what's going to happen with climate. We might need trees that are maybe more Mediterranean trees, that trees that can survive drought much better than maybe some of our native Scottish trees. I'm not really convinced by that argument, actually. But what else could the council do? Um, well, as I said, yeah, just uh, allow more messy space. But as I think Harris said earlier on, some people find that hard to look at. They think it's just unkempt. So we've maybe got a job to do to help the public see the, the real benefits to biodiversity with a little bit more mess. And the beauty of it as well. Absolutely. Have you got any forward plans on how you're going to have those conversations, Harris, now that you've learned that? Well, I think a lot of it is about actually educating people. And that's one of the next steps in my project is giving some presentations to some classes at school about actually telling them what rewilding looks like and trying to look at some misconceptions so that people are aware that it's not just about reintroducing dangerous animals and that there are amazing benefits. So I think a lot of it is just people not being aware of the facts and having lots of misconceptions. Like one of the big ones is that rewilding would mean that humans are no longer allowed to go to lots of areas, which is definitely not true as rewilding can definitely boost tourism and business in rural areas. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I think rewilding maybe a decade ago, it was about, to a certain extent, removing human input to vast areas of land. But I think certainly in Scotland, the way the movement is going is looking at repeopling as much as rewilding. In northern Scotland, so many of our glens were cleared of people and uh, replaced with uh, with sheep. You know, there's a real movement now to try and bring nature-based jobs back to these areas and encourage the young people to stay there and make a living and bring up a family. 
And you said the term me wilding earlier, and I like that. But that could almost also be described as people feeling safe in wild spaces and not feeling out of their comfort zone if they're not in a manicured park and garden or urban area. And that's some sort of internal work that we might need to do, especially for those of us who've grown up in cities and are used to urban environments. There's lots of people who actually haven't had access to those green spaces, those wild spaces, isn't there? Yeah, definitely rewilding people's minds is an essential part of it. Rewilding people rather than just places. Giving people more opportunity to be in wild places and learn about natural environments, I think, would give them a lot of confidence of being out of such an urban environment. Yeah, I absolutely agree, Harris. I really liked the no-mow May, where people are encouraged not to mow their grass in May and let it grow into May and June and July. And Maybe not all your grass, but certain areas of it. And uh, I did that this year, and it was incredible to see how many wildflowers were obviously lying dormant in my grass and, and suddenly came up. Oh, so a lot of it is just unknown at the moment because we don't know what nature's going to do when we leave it to do, like lead the way and do what it needs to do to become more biodiverse and better functioning. We've got a lot of science research and evidence to have a good idea of what the ecosystems will look like, but we don't know completely. Yeah, many of the ecosystems are so complex, we just truly, as Harris says, we truly don't fully understand the interrelationships that species have. We understand it to a certain extent, and that's why rewilding for me is so exciting that we're going to be on a voyage of discovery in the, in the years ahead as some of these rewilding projects. Certainly in Scotland, a lot of people believe re- you have to be a Danish billionaire to own hundreds of thousands of acres of, of Scotland to really make an impact on rewilding to an extent. Some of these projects are like that. We wrote a book called Me Wilding, which is available on our website. It's on the Big Picture website. And it's a, a pay what you can, you know, we wanted to make it as accessible to as many people as possible. So you could pay a pound or you can even download it for free. And it's got lots of good ideas for how you can rewild your life. So if anybody uh, wanted to take those things further, then that would be a good start. Do check out the Scotland Big Picture website, www.scotlandbigpicture.com. And perhaps there could be a Portobello rewilding group. I would look forward to swimming among seagrass, spotting more whales and dolphins, And one day in the future, you never know, I may discover a pearl in an oyster shell that I picked up on the beach here.